with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, that's the Apostles' Creed. And I've got a couple questions for you as we start tonight. That, the, the creed starts with, I believe. If you guys were here at the very beginning, you heard Brian talk about why are we even studying the creeds. And, and if you don't have any idea why we're studying the creed, uh, go ahead and go back and listen to that. You can get it on our website. But it starts with, I believe. And tonight we're focusing on the forgiveness of sins. And so my question to you is, do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? I would guess that many of you would say yes to that. But I want you to answer that question. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? And my next question for you is, if you believe in the forgiveness of sins, how, does that, how did that reality impact you today? Think about your day. How did the reality of the forgiveness of sins, whether that's possible, whether that you, you have believed and repented and you believe that applies to you. How did that impact you today? I want you to think about it. I want you to come up with an answer so that I can call on you and you would say, this is what I think. I'm not, I might call on some of you, but think about that answer. What would you say? I'm hoping by the end of our conversation, there's a creek right there, that, uh, that you'll have an answer for that and that I'll have a, a, a biblical answer for that. So, one of the things that, uh, this, this talk could go a lot of different directions, and one of the things that helped me just narrow down what are we going to talk about and how are we going to talk about it is just picking a passage. So we're going to turn to Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 is going to be uh, our launching point for this evening. And I am uh, not a practiced uh, lecturer or preacher. I am uh, much more of a practiced teacher. And so I expect this to be very interactive. I'm going to ask questions and expect you to respond. And uh, you can raise your hand and ask questions. I would love that. Um, so please do that as we go. But Psalm 51, I'm turning there as well. Many of you probably know this. And I would imagine many of you know a lot of what I'm going to say tonight. But as the Apostle Paul said, it's, it's, it's good for us to be remembered. It's safe. It's, it's good for you and it's safe for you to be remembering these things. Psalm 51. Uh, you're going to want a Bible. If you don't have a Bible... Look on with your neighbor. Everybody's going to need a Bible tonight. Okay, I need a volunteer to read just that introduction, the heading of the psalm. Who can do that for me? Dick, thank you very much. All right, good. That's the setting. Most of you probably know this setting very well. We've even been studying a little bit about David on Sunday mornings. But just really quick, somebody shout out to me. What do we know, other than this sin that he committed, what do we know about David? Tell me something we know about David. What did he do? Who was he? He's a warrior. When was he a warrior? 
Good. Yep, he was a warrior. He, he fought battles, and most notably the Goliath one. Everybody's heard of that, right? He was probably 15 years old and exhibited faith in, in God. Good. David and Goliath and David fought and won battles. What else? He was anointed early. Yeah, he was anointed. Right before that, he was anointed, right? right. Yes, right. He is going to be the king. Good. What else do we know about David? An inspired poet. He wrote a lot of psalms, didn't he? That's right. We know when, Pastor Brian says, when, when uh, he doesn't write psalms, that's a dark point in David's life, right? Good. Yes. Son of, yep, he was the son of Jesse. Good. He's called a man after God's own heart. Yes. Anything else? Shepherd. How about, how about 2 Samuel 7? Does anybody know what happened in 2 Samuel 7? Somebody makes a promise to David. Huh? Who said that? Bill. Yes, God did. What, yeah, what, did, he, what did he promise? you remember? He promised him a kingdom forever. One of his offspring would be on the throne forever. Good. All right. That is this David. After, he's, after he is given that covenant by God, he immediately goes and, and, clear, and, and tries to clear the land. He extends the borders. The, the land is experiencing all this blessing. And then what happens? This, this sin, right? <laughs> On the heels of all of this faith, and, and there's mixed faith, right? We see even in our Sunday morning sermons about how he, he already was starting to have problems. He, wasn't, he was listening to himself too much. Uh, he had multiple wives, right? So this, this sin with Bathsheba, he commits adultery slash rape with Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. And then, you remember this, he has Uriah murdered, right? Man. So does anybody know anything about Uriah or Eliam? Bathsheba's husband or Bathsheba's father? Anybody know anything about those two guys? Yeah, Uriah was a Hittite. Good. And so not a native Israelite. Most, most likely even a, a proselyte, if you would. Somebody who believed in Yahweh, maybe even because of David's leadership. He was loyal. How do you know that? It's a stark contrast. Even Uriah, drunk, right, is, is more holy than David. Yeah, good. It, it talks about at the end of 2 Samuel that Uriah is actually one of his mighty men. And so was Eliam. So Bathsheba's husband and Bathsheba's dad are some of these mighty men who were following David around, who were helping him with his battles, who were, who were a part of his crew, if you will. And in Scripture, for centuries and centuries to come, we know this. So not only did David commit adultery and murder, he committed adultery and murder against close friends, against people who trusted him, uh, potentially Uriah the Hittite against somebody who, who wasn't a, a believer in Yahweh and then turned to become a believer in God. Who agrees that, that that's a bad deal? That's a bad deal. I think that's a bad deal. And I tell you, the last thing my flesh wants God to do is to forgive someone like that. Um, Nathan, then you guys know the story, Nathan confronts David. And after he confronts David... David realizes in this parable, he's like, oh, yeah, 
uh, that person should die, this, this lamb and the rich man and the poor man. And he says, that guy should die. And it's this famous look where Nathan looks him in the face. I'm envisioning him looking him in the face and saying, you are the man. You are the man. All right, so that's the context, Psalm 51. That's the context. Voila. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Uh, who wants to read? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. I, I've, our, I've ordered our time around these different things that I'm saying that we're believing. If we're going to believe in the forgiveness of sins, this is what I think we're actually saying. And the first one is, I believe in sin. You can't believe in the forgiveness of sins unless you actually believe that sin exists and what sin is. Fair? Okay. So what is sin? What's the definition of sin? Transgression of the law. A lawbreaker. Good. Would anybody add to that or say something different? transgression of God's law. Okay, you're clarifying. It's the same thing as he's saying, but thank you. That's helpful. Yes, sir? Good. Okay. I don't do the C. I've been doing my fourth and fifth grade class. I I say anything you think, say, or do that's against God and his law. <laughs> Anything you, that's, what I, that's what I do with my fourth and fifth graders. John MacArthur says this, sin is anything contrary to God's law and more moral character in thought, word, deed, or nature. And Wayne Grudem says sin is any failure to conform to, to, conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. So yeah, uh, I mean, even in, this ver- even in these verses, right, it talks about transgressions. We're transgressors. We've broken God's law. Iniquity. Iniquity is like twisted, evil sin, and, and, and even the word sin, right? We're, it's called sin here. We have to believe in sin. And then who does it say that he sinned against? Who does it say? God. Oh, there's only one person here who knows who he sinned against. Anybody else know? Who does it say that he sinned against? God, okay, why does he say that? Because didn't he sin against Bathsheba? Are you kidding me? Didn't he sin against Uriah, uh, Uriah and Eliam? Why does he say that? Somebody help me. Ultimately. You guys agree? Oh, I agree too. John Piper agrees too. Let me read you what he says. He says that this, this doesn't mean Bathsheba and Uriah and the baby weren't hurt. It, it means that what makes sin to be sin is that it's against God. Hurting man, it, it, that's bad. It's horribly bad. But that's not the horror of sin. Sin is an attack on God, a belittling of God. And David admits this in striking terms. Against you and you only have I sinned. So, uh, you can use whatever definition you like. I say anything you think, say, or do that's against God and his law. 
But then underneath that, I, and I don't have one of your handouts in front of me, but um, my next point is that, well, let's read verse 5 and then we'll, fi we'll find out what, what it says. Uh, who wants to read verse 5 for us? Somebody who hasn't read yet. We need to get everybody involved. Yes, Mr. Luke, read verse 5. Yes, please. Good. Good. So I'm going to say that we're sinners by nature. We are sinners by nature. Who knows of another Bible verse that talks about that? And I know I'm purposely going to move through this really fast because I want to get to the end. All the good stuff. This is all good stuff too. Um, what's another verse in the Bible that talks about how we are sinners by nature as who we are? Romans 5.12? Yeah, what is one of those? Can you quote one of those to me? Can somebody tell me what one of those say? Those are great verses, by the way. How about Ephesians 2, 2, 1 even? So you think this is, con I, I just want to make sure we're being consistent, and this isn't just David, right? I want you guys to see this is coming from all of Scripture. It's not just this one psalm that talks about sin and that we're sinners by nature. Did you find it for me? Adam sinned, and so everybody after him is born into sin, and we all sin. And we don't just do sin, we are sinners. Fair? Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Good. Good. We are born, we want to rob God of his glory and live for ourselves. So I believe in sin, and I believe that um, we are sinners by nature. Number two. All right, number two. Let's read the next verse. Verse. Actually, we've already read the verse that I'm interested in for this one. Verse three. Verse three has this uh, phrase. And my question to you is, what does sin deserve? What does sin deserve? You guys know this answer? Death. Is that what you're going to say? He, you're both right. Way to go. Spiritual death, yes. Let's, look at, let's put it in the words of this um, psalm. So in verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified. God's going to be justified in his words and blameless in his judgment. And I'm going to use the word judgment. All, I believe in the judgment for sin. I believe in the judgment for sin. We've even talked about this. And I can't remember who it was that was talking, but they talked about how uh, Christ is coming back to judge. That is part of the reason and the purpose of his return, and it is imminent. And he's going to judge the quick and the dead, right? So we're not going to belabor this, but we know all sin must be judged. And, and that's why, that's why this, this thing with Bathsheba is so abhorrent. We know it. Everybody in their soul knows this is wrong and this is sin. Romans 6.23 talks about this. Second, if you want to write down some verses, 2 Thessalonians 1.9 talks about eternal punishment for those who don't believe in Re Revelation 20.15. Their names aren't written in, written in the book of life. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire. And uh, I would encourage you, as you think about David's sin and how heinous that was, is to, one, 
not think that God can't forgive someone like you, right? Maybe you've murdered, and maybe you've committed adultery, and maybe you've stabbed somebody close to you in the back. But if God can forgive David, he can forgive you. But I would also say those of you who haven't actually murdered, those of us, I don't think I've, I've never murdered somebody, never committed adultery, um, but we've all done that in our hearts, right? Isn't that Jesus' point on the Sermon on the Mount? That's exactly what he says, right? <laughs> you, you think you haven't murdered? What about what's going on in your heart? That's what really matters. And you've murdered in your heart. And you've committed adultery in your heart, every single one of you. And um, don't, don't think of this heinousness of David's sin as different than yours. Think of it as just like yours. It is just like yours against the holy God. Go back and listen to the rest of the Apostles' Creed. This all has to tie into the rest of the Apostles' Creed. It doesn't, it doesn't work to believe in the forgiveness of sins without believing in God, the Father Almighty, who created you and deserves your worship, right? They have to be connected. You can't, you can't have this without the others. Okay. So I believe, let's see, my third, my third point, number one is I believe in sin. I believe in judgment for sin, and I believe in the forgiveness of sins. There we go. We've got to believe in that if we're going to believe in this Apostles' Creed and, and the believe of the word. So let's, read, let's keep reading. Let's read verses 7 through 12. Somebody who likes to read so they can read a whole bunch of them. <laughs> JT? Okay, go for it. Good. Thank you. So from verses 1 through 12, I'm going to break this down into our part and God's part. Uh, I'm a very complicated person here. Our part, God's part. From, from those verses, 1 through 12, what is something that is our part? What is David doing? What does David say that's his part, that, he, that he's uh, doing in this? Anything? Huh? Admit or confess. Good, yes. He's confessing his sin, isn't he? Isn't he? Good. Number one, we need to confess our sin. But not just that. I think it's really helpful. He confesses what his sin deserves. He talks about judgment. God's going to be justified in his words and blameless in his judgment of his sin. You know, I think it's very helpful to confess our sin, but even to confess what our sin deserves to God. Good, he is confessing sin. Does anybody know what that word confess means in its original language? What does that mean? What, is it, what, is it, what does it mean to confess? Agree with. Good, yeah, I like that. Anybody else? That's good. I, I've, I've always heard and understood it to be the same as. The same as. You're saying the same as God. So can you say about your sin the same as God says about it? Which is what we care about. It's in light of, of who he is, right? So our part, we need to confess our sin and what our sin deserves. And what else? I'm, I'm boiling all this down into one bullet point. 
Um, we'll, we'll talk about repentance in a little bit, but yes, repentance is a part of this. Next word, but it's not what I'm looking for. What, is, what, is he, what does he do in um, verse, at the very beginning of this, verse 1? What does he say at the very beginning of it? Yes. Huh? Be gracious to me. Have mercy on me. Luke, what does he say in verse 2 at the very beginning? Wash me. Right? Uh, verse 7. Yep. Luke, you're with me right now. Keep going. Yeah. And, and then the second half of that, it says again, wash me. Right? Cre- verse 10, create in me. I'm going to say he's crying out to God for mercy. How about that? Cry to God for mercy. Isn't that what, how Jesus described the sinner who came before God? He said, he, he, all he can say, right? Help, help me, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. And that's what David's saying. What else can he say? He, de- he knows what he deserves, and that's death. Have mercy on me, O God. Cry for mercy, and that, I wrote it down this way, cry for mercy and that God would change you. All right, God's part. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. What in this, he's asking God to do something. What speaks about the forgiveness of sins from this passage? Especially, even just look at verse 1. Shout it out, or I'll call on you. What, what, what speaks of God's forgiveness of sin in verse 1? According to your abundant mercy, yep, what does he want him to do? Huh? Blot out my transgressions. Okay, good. I think he's, he, he, he says it again. Can't see where it is right now. Blot out my transgressions. What do you think that means? What does it mean to blot something out? To get rid of it? Good. As if it never was. Good. I agree. Verse 9 says the same thing. I'm going to read it again for you. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Um. Theologians use a, use a term called uh, penal substitutionary atonement or substitutionary atonement. But what I'm going to say to you is he needs his, for, his sins forgiven, blotted out. I think of a, an accountant. Who else thinks of an accountant as soon as he says blot? Anybody? Nobody. Ay, ay, ay. So much work to do. Think you've got a ledger. This is the ledger of your life. This is the ledger of Dick's life right here in these books. We got a whole lot of sin in there, don't we? And what do we need? We need that blotted out. We need it so that God would turn his face from that, don't we? And to, forg- and to forgive you for those sins. Good. Blot, he blot, God's part, he blots out our sin. How can he do that? How can he do that? How can he blot out our sin? Because God is a holy God and he doesn't do that. He doesn't just forget about sin. With forgiveness. Yep, with forgiveness. Good. You guys know, we already talked about this. Uh, It was JT who I think was teaching, right? He talked about Jesus paying the penalty. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. There was a man who lived 2,000 years ago, but he wasn't just the man. He was fully God and fully man, or holy God and holy man, right? And he died on a cross. He suffered and died on a cross. Why? 
in your place and in mine for all who would believe. That's the, that's the way his sins can be blotted out or forgiven. Um, this, is, this is what I'm calling number two. I'm calling this the great exchange. So number one, he's going to blot out our sin. And number two, the great exchange. He says this phrase, uh, he wants them to blot out all of my iniquities. But back in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Hyssop was a reference to being purged from something really bad like uh, leprosy. Okay? But basically he wants the spiritual cleansing. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean and wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This great exchange where you get, uh, Jesus gets your sin. He pays for your sin at the cross. And what do you get? You're going to get his righteousness. Does anybody know 2 Corinthians 5.21? I need somebody to turn there and read that for us. Uh, Eric, can you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21 for me? I'm sure some of you have it memorized, but we'll we'll make sure it's legitimate here. Uh, This great exchange. Jesus gets your sin you get his righteousness. You there? Yeah, read it for me. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You speak almost as fast as I do. Can you read it one more time for me? Just normal. Just normal. That's fine. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good. It's pretty clear. He didn't have any sin, but he got sin. We have the sin, but now we get what? We get righteousness. That's what we need. Good. All right, stick your finger or your pen in Psalm 51 and flip over to Psalm 103. I can't talk about David and his sin without referencing Psalm 103. And I wish, I, I wish for sake of time we could have spent so much time in all of these passages. Verse 8 through 12 is what we're going to read. Verses 8 through 12. We've got somebody in the front row. Sam, can you read that for us when you get there? 103, verses 8 to 12. Nice and loud. Good. How far does he remove transgressions from us, Sam? How far is that? No, like really, how far is that? How far do you think that is? <laughs> Pretty far? When, when, can we measure it? Can we try to measure that? Like it's a little ways away, right? I mean, it's, we know it's a long way, but pretty far. So I, know, I know some people like to say, well, God, God can't forget your sin. No, he doesn't. God's omniscient, God's all-knowing, and there's a sense in which God doesn't forget your sin, but there's a sense in which he blots it from your record and he places it on Christ, right? And he can, it can be removed from you so far, it's as the east is from the west. Those are never going never gonna to meet again, are they? Never. Thank you for reading that.
And, it, and, and if you read that, you go back to, why, is he, why does he do that? Why does he do that? It goes back to our Apostles' Creed. Who is God? Well, and it, he, he's quoting Exodus, but he says, well, Yahweh, that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He loves to forgive sin. He loves to forgive sin. Please hear that. God, every sin will be judged, and God loves to forgive sin. Any questions? Tracking with me? You with me still? Anybody asleep? No? All right. All right. Here we go. I believe in sin. I believe in judgment of sin. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And uh, I, I don't, and I, I, this last one, I believe in repentance from sin. This really goes with the confession of our sin. Next to that, I want you to write comma, a changed life. I believe in a changed life because that's what's going to result from repentance and faith. Uh, uh, someone who confesses their sin, someone who cries out for mercy, who's repentant of their sin, that's going to result in a changed life. So where do we end in our psalm? Go back to Psalm 51. And we got I think we were starting in verse 13. So let's read verse 13 through 17. Verses 13 through 17. Everybody looks down so they don't get called on. Yep. Thank you, sir, Mr. Day. Good. Okay. God desires inward change. We already talked about this. God cares about the heart, right? It's not just about the externals. God cares about your heart. And that, that's kind of brought out in some of these thoughts. Um, if you guys remember back with me to when Brian, Pastor Brian was teaching through 1 Samuel about Saul. And he talks about Saul and his lack of repentance, right? Saul was supposed to complete this mission. God told him directly what to do, and Saul didn't do it. And then Saul says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 I didn't. didn't couldn't you hear that I did it? Or he makes excuses. Duh, that's, that's because the people did this, right? Contrast that lack of repentance. There was no change in him. He didn't end up killing Agad, which is what he was supposed to do. Samuel had to do it because Saul didn't actually repent. Con contrast that with these kinds of words. You don't hear these kinds of words out of Saul, but you do hear these kinds of words out of David. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. And not only that, what is it? he's going he's to immediately turn and teach others. I'm going to teach other lawbreakers, other sinners, your ways with the result of sinners returning to you. And then he mentions this thing about sacrifice. You don't delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Let's not, let's not get too complicated here. He's not saying that sacrifices are bad, that God shouldn't have set up the sacrificial system. He actually is going to mention sacrifices again in verse 19, that burn, you know, he, he wants sacrifices to continue. 
the, the point is that God is looking at his heart. Jesus says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. What's the very first beatitude, right? Blessed or happy. Blessed are the who? The poor. Say it with me. The poor in spirit. Okay, you guys know what it is now. Say it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Well, he's just reiterating what David's saying here in one sense. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. They recognize their need for a savior and they're humble. There is, the Bible talks about very uh, explicitly in Corinthians about a sorrow that de- doesn't actually lead to repentance. And it doesn't lead to saving faith. You can say you're sorry all day long. It doesn't, there's nothing in the psalm that says you need to say sorry for your sin. It says you need to confess it, admit it, cry for mercy and repent. Okay? I love the obvious contrast between who David was and who Saul was. So, um, and and we know, we know that this was accepted by God as true repentance and confession. Do you know why? Because, and I'll read it for you, in 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan tells David, you're the man, remember that? I told you, we talked about that earlier. He says, David, you're the man. What does David do after that? 12, I'll read it for you. It's 2 Samuel 12. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against Yahweh. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He knew he needed to die. <laughs> He knew he was going to, he probably should die. (laughs) Nathan should probably kill him right then. And instead, God uses this as an opportunity to teach. And he says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. I I was reading somewhere and it it, it talks about actually that there there was no sacrifice for murder. If you go through the Old Old Testament law, you're not going to find a sacrifice that applies when you go murder somebody. It doesn't exist. There's, There's sacrifices for sin, sin offerings. But, but not for murder. The, the result of that is you get killed. And um, he knew God would not delight in him doing any sort of sacrifice. But, but would be pleased with a broken spirit and a contrite heart be, being a poor in spirit, that God will not despise. So I, I believe this is evidence, along with the teaching transgressors your ways, and I'm, I'm just summarizing it for our ease of a changed life. And we see that in David, although it's not, not perfect. David still has problems the rest of, in, in his life. Any questions? Pretty, pretty basic. A lot of stuff you guys probably already knew. What, how, what, anybody got a time for me? Where am I at? 7.40, I got 20 minutes. All right. <sighs> repercussions. All right, let's think really quickly about the repercussions. If we, if, you, if we don't actually believe in sin or judgment for sin or the forgiveness of sins or changed life, what are, what are the implications? All right, I've got a couple I want you to think about. Number one, uh, there's a whole group of people that think that man isn't inherently bad or sinful. They just do some sinful things, but they can just change their behavior. They can just change their behavior. They they can do it on their own. They don't need God to act. 
to change their hearts, like Jesus says in, uh, to Nicodemus. Man isn't that, man's not inherently bad. He, he's actually good, and he, he's capable of, of choosing God apart from the grace of God, and, and, and capable of doing good. And I think that fails to understand the nature of sin and cheapens God's grace. All right, how about this? Do we have any former, and you don't have to raise your hand, you can if you want to, any former Catholics in the room? Catholics uh, believe in sin, but they, they've got a warped view of the forgiveness of sins and even what we talked about today. Anybody want to help me, help us understand that? Does anybody know? How do they warp this theology? You have to pay penance. What does that, what does that mean? Do you know? You have to pay for your own sin, Okay. Yep. We don't need to do that, do we? There is no model of that in Scripture. We get to confess straight to the person we wrong, which is God. Good. Yeah. 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 Good. I, I was reading about how they have some bad sins and some really bad sins. Uh, and I don't remember their terms, but it's Th- those ones, these venial and mortal sins, and then, and they're all bad, but some of them need to be repented of, and some of them you can just confess and move on from. But also, you've got to do these good works. You've got to do some good works to be right with God in their doctrine. And that is totally antithetical to true forgiveness of sin that, that's based on faith and repentance. Some people live out, leave out sin entirely. You've probably heard this. We just need to love like Jesus loved. That's just what we need to do. What's wrong with that? What do you think is wrong with that? Just let, why can't we just love like Jesus? Why do we have to even talk about sin? Where do you even start with that, right? <laughs> they obviously don't believe in the Apostles' Creed or have, have used this as a tool to keep them on the straight and narrow. Um, I have a friend I went to high school with, and uh, he's, his dad was a pastor. He, they were, the family was missionaries. Dad was a pastor, and I have multiple memories of him. He, he was a believer for all I knew. And there was this one time we were in the car, and his dad was driving with the, our volleyball coach. We were on the same volleyball team. And I'll never forget, his dad was, was evangelizing. He was preaching the gospel to our coach. They were in the front row of this car. The rest of us are in their back. We can kind of t- pick up pieces of what's going on. And my friend turns to me, and he goes, my dad's giving him the gospel right now. <laughs> That's cool. And... Uh, uh, it, it didn't. It didn't end up going anywhere, as far as I know, with that with that coach. But my friend, I don't. It, his theology was not very deep, and I, I don't know that he had a tool like the Apostles' Creed to help him. He went on to a very liberal college, and I knew him all the way through high school. He was as solid as anybody I knew at that school. And he, and he went to college and went off what I would call. Uh, a deep end theologically and then went to a, a uh, school of theology, a, got a, a doctorate. And this is what, th- this is a, a statement that I heard him say now that he is, is helping him communicate what he believes. And this is what he says. It's, it's called transpantheism. And what that means is that it's not that God is greater than the world or God is less than the world or God holds the world. What this means is that God infinity symbols the world. 
what? God, infinity symbols the world. There's, there, there's always a never-ending reciprocity and re- relationality. It's a little different than equals or greater than. Uh, p- parts of the world transcend God. And a way to talk about the reality, uh, this is a way to talk about a, the reality that there's a reciprocity. Uh, you get lost really quick, don't you? What does that even mean? Uh, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. He doesn't believe in sin. <laughs> and it, 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 it brings me to tears thinking about it. He doesn't believe in sin. And he doesn't believe that there's sin against God. And he doesn't believe in judgment of, for that sin or for the forgiveness of sins. And I think this is a helpful just uh, reminder. It was a reminder to me as I was thinking about him and thinking about how if we don't remind ourselves, if we don't have tools that keep us with guardrails on what our faith is, um, you, you, you very well may not have one. All right, repercussions of an inadequate view of forgiveness. I got 15 minutes left or 10 minutes? 15? All right, repercussions of an inadequate view of forgiveness. You, this is where I want to hit it home and, and go back to that question that I asked at the beginning. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for you today? Any, anybody want to answer that? I've got, I've got about four different things we could talk about, but does anybody have something that's pressed on their hearts that they think would be helpful for us to discuss in relation to this? Somebody does. They're calling in to tell us all about it. Guilt. What do you mean by that, Miss Stephanie? Again, that you have to earn forgiveness. It's guilt that makes us forgive. You have an inadequate view of God's forgiveness. Well, okay, you and I have forgiven you. Good. Could he actually forgive me? You all have felt like that at some point. You have. You have. And we've got to go back to believe. Who, what is the character of God? He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And if we confess and cry out for mercy and repent, he will forgive. That's right. I think that's absolutely uh, one thing. And there's more with it. Yeah. should be a piece of cake, right? We've already been forgiven. How how can we possibly hold something against somebody else? That's true for all of us, isn't it? That's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to do sometimes. You know, it it, it feels easy when it's like not a big deal. When it's not a big deal, it's easy. But when it's a huge deal and it's backstabbing you in the back or it's just the same thing over and over again. Are you really willing to forgive somebody? How many times are you willing to forgive them for that same issue? Because guess what? They've probably sinned against you multiple times. Some of you in this church, you, you, maybe you've got a grudge right now against somebody. that you, you say you've forgiven them. But it ain't like God's forgiveness. 
It ain't like God's forgiveness. How can we, and that's exactly what Ephesians 4 says. Colossians 3 says the same thing. We need to forgive as the Lord forgave us. Um, absolutely. It has an implication for how we forgive others. John MacArthur says, and this is one of the things I remember him saying because it stuck with me. He says, you're never more like God than when you forgive. Think about the freeing nature of that. You can forgive and never hold it against them again. You don't have to. You can just forgive it, especially if they're a believer. Christ has already paid the penalty for that. They don't have to pay a penalty to you. If their sin was primarily against God, you can forgive them. And you can remember what God's done for you. Good. Good. I think if we, to go back to the guilt, if we focus too much on our own sin, that's, that's not understanding this view of forgiveness. And it will result in effect, ineffective Christian life. It will result in depression. It, 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 it's pride and it's not believing what God says. Right, First John one nine. If you confess with your mouth, or if you confess your sins, He will be faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Remember who God is and look to the cross. Okay, here's here's a here's an inappropriate view of forgiveness. Some people say, "You've forgiven me. There shouldn't be any consequences." Right? I mean, if you forgive me, why are there, why does why is there any Consequences. Maybe you've heard something like that. Um, yeah, I, I would say look, talk to David. Talk to David. He, he, Nathan said, God is going to forgive you. Your sin is forgiven, right? And you're not going to die. But guess what? Did David have consequences? Were there consequences because of David's sin? Well, we, could, we could spend the next couple hours talking about the consequences of the violence in his family the womanizing in his family, uh, he, the loss of the, of the precious child. Oh, um, and Brian talks about this all the time. Pastor Brian talks about this, right? Uh, your sin doesn't stay, sta- stay stagnant, and it always hurts the people around you. It will. And there will be, it, and I think somebody who's honestly repentant of their sin and understands God's judgment of them will, will embrace the, the, the earthly consequences that they've been given. I, I, God says that he disciplines those that he loves uh, in Hebrews. And uh, he's going to teach you wisdom, and maybe that's through hard consequences because of our sin. Let, let's not hate that or hold that against God. Let's embrace it and learn wisdom from it and repent from it. It does, right? It, and it's easiest to pluck out when it's, think of the weed, right? It's easiest to pluck out when it's a small weed. But if you wait, you'll do what, what my kids do, which is tear off the top, and it just keeps growing right back up as fast as possible, right? Good. Any other encouragement or comments or questions? Well, Good because I am excited to sing with you. There are many, many songs that talk about the forgiveness of sin, and I want us to be encouraged and do what um, Colossians 3 says that we should do, is admonish one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to God. So there's some hymnals right in front of you. Grab your hymnal. Can you turn me 
down and maybe stop, <laughs> preferably